This Lenten season, the season of the cross, we have been meditating on the cross and trying to get a handle on the depth of the results and the effects of what it means that this is good news, that Jesus, God's son, was horrifically and violently crucified and that he met his end on a Roman cross. We've been looking at several motifs, none of which are definitive in describing what's going on in Jesus' death on the cross. We, they're more like angles in, they're more like doorways. But together they have been revealing to us a larger and a fuller description, understanding and explanation Enlarging our vision of God's love for us through Jesus' death. Today we come to a kind of quirky little phrase in the Apostles' Creed that leads us to our meditation this morning. He descended to the dead. Or in some versions, he descended into hell. There's a flow in the creed that talks about Jesus' death, and it goes that he was crucified, he was died, he was buried, and then he descended to the dead. This is one of those sobering times in the lives of Christians where we we have to sort of be at our best and to be able to make the connection between what we say we believe, what we confess in the creed and in our hearts and in our lives. with what it actually says that Jesus descended into hell or to the dead. And this comes between the description and the confession of his death and his resurrection. There are several words for the idea in scripture of hell or the dead. There's hell and Hades. There's Greek terms and Hebrew terms. But the point is, at the end of the day of this confession, that just as Jesus lived and was a human being in every way that we are human, he lost his life and he experienced death in every way that death confronts us. There's a completion, the circle is being brought together in this description of Jesus going to the dead. The Apostle Paul writes in the book of Ephesians, Therefore it is said that when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself captive. He gave gifts to his people. But when it says that he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the same as the one who ascended for above all the heavens, so that he might fulfill all things. What the apostle seems to be saying is that you need both directions in order to get the fullness of God's purposes through Jesus Christ. There is the ascending, which is another kind of quizzical and beautiful and mysterious belief that we have, that Jesus is descended, is ascended, that he is sitting at the right hand of God the Father and that he is praying for us. 
Both sides seem to be mysterious, but you need to have both of them. In the Gospel of Mark, we read this about the darkness, about hell, about Satan. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one who can enter a strong man's house unless he first binds up that strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. And so there's this imagery of Jesus descending into the darkness, of Jesus in his death experiencing the fullness of death. As one theologian has written, the passion of Jesus Christ has at its heart and its center the victory which has been won for us in our place in the battle against sin. It is the radical divine action which affects and destroys at its very root the primary evil of the world. And so in the death of Jesus, what we proclaim is that Jesus went to the root cause. He went into the darkness. He went into the very heart of darkness in order to finalize his work for us and for our salvation. There are a few ways that we can move meditatively towards this. We can think about it as the kind of theological or logical way of Jesus' progression. The Catholic spiritual writer Henry Nouwen, in a pure genius move, talks about Jesus' life in terms of downward mobility. He's speaking and teaching and writing this in a culture where upward mobility seems to be the goal, seems to be the plan, seems to be the ideal. And he articulates Jesus' life in terms of this pattern of downward mobility to humanity, to servanthood, to death. And we can say with the creed and with the scriptures that Jesus went to the dark place. He went to the center of evil. He went to the place that is metaphorically the furthest away from the presence of God and from the heart of God. Jesus suffered and he died and he was buried and he descended. It makes it clear that Jesus experiences the fullness of human existence. He not only suffers and experiences the moment of death, but he also experiences death as the moment of potential separation and relationship and communion with others. Heartbreaking. He experienced the profound anxiety, the utter loss, and the potential for God forsakenness, which is felt by those people who experience human death and other things. What we're saying in our confession this morning is that Jesus' death was not a pretend death. It wasn't an apparent death for the purposes of seeming to make him a human being, but it was a real death with all of the horror and all of the terror and all of the fear that we as human beings associate with death. Jesus was human like us in every way except for sin. 
And it was through his death, his very real death, that he accomplishes God's purposes for his life and for us. Jesus goes to the heart of darkness. He goes there in our place. And he goes there in order to come out the other side with a victory. This is the center of our faith in the cross and the resurrection. That Jesus overcomes sin and death once and for all. But like almost every other, if not every single line in the creed that we confess, this word somehow, this reality, this faith, this belief, this doctrine, whatever term that you are familiar with, has to have some kind of way of working itself out in the real world. One way of thinking about it might be that with this confession that Jesus descends into the darkness, into death, into hell, that if we think about our lives of following Jesus, what does it mean that we go with him there? He goes there for us, but what would it mean if we go there with him? And what it looks like is that there is a full permission in this confession and a strong encouragement not to avoid the horrors of life, personal, cultural, worldwide. Who can think about the horror of Jesus' death? Who can think about his crucifixion? Who can think about his death and descending into that dark, lonely, faraway place, that evil place, and not be able to reflect upon the horrors that we experience in human life. Horrors that come naturally in some ways, horrors that are inflicted by human beings on each other. And we've had some gross reminders even in this past few days and weeks on the world stage of exactly this. If we go with Jesus descending into death, it's a clarion call to engage, to struggle, to pray against, to live into in every way that we are offered, every opportunity that we have, to oppose injustice, to work and to pray for fairness and goodness, to take on the woundedness of the world ourselves and to take on one another's woundedness as disciples of Jesus. As we bore down into this, I was reminded of an interview um, with the leader of the Sisters of Charity, the order of Christian women that was started by Mother Teresa. And in the interview, the leader who is in Calcutta, like Teresa was for much of her ministry, um, was asked by the interviewer 
about this ongoing criticism that the Sisters of Charity have received over time. The Sisters of Charity, you see, deal with the least of these because they believe they are ministering to Jesus, who was buried with the poor. And the criticism, though, is an economic sort of medical criticism that says, why do the Sisters of Charity spend all their time with people who are just in the very last hours or days of their lives? Why don't they redirect their energy in order to to spend their energy and their their healing on people who might be sort of midway in the process, people who might be really sick, and yet, yet there's some potential for their healing? I thought the answer was so beautiful and so profound and so Jesus-centered. The answer comes back and says, we, the leader says, we deal with people who in their entire lives have never known that they're loved. They've never heard words of love or affirmation in their entire life. They've been ostracized, they've been rejected, They have been made low. They have absolutely no self-esteem. They've never even felt the hands of love anywhere on their body. And in Jesus' name, what we want to do, even if it's just for a few hours, we want to go with them to that very lowest place and make sure that their last experience in the midst of their dying darkness is that they are included with the rest of us in knowing and hearing and feeling how loved they are. This, I think, is very, very close to what it means that Jesus descends into darkness. On this Good Friday, I am really thinking a lot about my high school and youth group friend, Linda West McGregor. Linda is one of those beautiful people, really one of those anointed people. A couple of years younger and the sister of my best friend. She lived out her faith in our high school and in our community in the most radiant and talented way. Just so impressive, the smile, filled with joy, filled with ability, always the first in every class she was ever part of, someone that you would have sort of thought was going to be tracking towards a very, very successful professional life in some way, shape, or form. But of course, as it goes with these kind of people, a profoundly talented musician and a gift of leadership on top of that mixed in as if that weren't enough. Moved to the United States to go to college and met the love of her life, Bruce, who happened to be a pastor, and they have spent most of their life, married life, in Kansas City, Kansas, where for many years they pastored at a large church where Linda led hundreds, even thousands, in worship every Sunday. And latterly have spent most of their time working in an inner city mission with at-risk youth mostly young people with drug addictions. But along the way, and which might be Linda's true calling in my mind, is the having and the raising of six amazing children. 
almost a kind of a fairy book tale. Six children and now three grandchildren. And I heard recently that her second oldest boy, Ian, had a baby. And they named the baby Talitha. Tally was the nickname. Now, some of you may recognize that term or that name, Talitha or Talitha. It's actually a Greek term that was spoken by Jesus and recorded in Mark's Gospel, chapter 5. It's a passage where Jesus takes on the evil of the world. He takes on the evil of the world in the form of demons who are possessing people. He takes on the evil and the power of the world in the form of a woman with a lifelong sickness. And he takes on the evil of the world in a little girl who is dead. There you have it. Demonic, sickness, and death. Talitha kum is what Jesus pronounced over the little girl when everybody thought she was finished. And when he pronounced those words, she sprung to life, Mark tells us. Talitha kum, what it means literally is, little girl, rise up. Little girl, be resurrected. Little girl, experience the fullness of the God life for you. And when I heard that Ian McGregor had, and his wife, who I don't know, has called their first baby Talitha, I thought that is just so Linda McGregor. Not everybody can get away with that, but Linda can get away with that. This is a family so devout, so passionate, so vocationally centered on the call of God's kingdom, so raised and immersed in the life of faith and mission and sacrifice. And so they wanted their little baby to grow up in the spirit of everything that God had to offer her. So they called her Talitha, Tally. Rise up. Experience the fullness of the God life. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. Several weeks ago, when this young couple brought their little baby to visit their extended family, including my friend Linda, who's now this beautiful grandmother. We saw her at her nephew's wedding in Chicago just a year and a half ago, and she says that same beautiful smile and joy and energy for God. To wake up one morning and to go to the baby's room and to find Tally dead in her crib. This little baby, who they named Talitha, who they celebrated God's goodness to them through naming her that, to find her only after a few months of life, gone. The funeral was powerful and beautiful as these early 20-somethings tried to, with their community and their family, tried to express their faith and their hope in Christ in the midst of this tragedy.
They were so resurrection-centered, and so they should have been, and so should we all. But can you imagine the devastation? Can you imagine the level of despair? Can you just imagine the many dark nights of the soul, now and in the weeks and the days ahead, for this young, faithful, hopeful, gospel-oriented couple. And so what are they going to do on Easter weekend? What they're going to do is be reminded that Jesus died, that he was buried, and that he went to the deepest, darkest pit for them and for us, and for their little girl. And while the rest of us are moving on into resurrection, in some ways they were so far ahead of us in naming their girl in the name of the resurrection, and yet they're going to have to linger by the cross. They're going to have to linger and to mourn and to struggle there. They're going to have to learn all over again what they learned for the first time in their family with my friend Linda teaching them the scriptures on her lap and at their church and at their Christian college. They're going to have to relearn that nothing can separate them from the love of Christ. American novelist Wallace Stegner in his powerful novel called Crossing to Safety, tells a story of two women who are visiting a museum, an art museum in Italy. And in this scene in the novel, they're looking at a Piero della Francesca picture of the resurrected Christ who's rising up from the tomb. The narrator describes the painting by saying this, that gloomy, stricken face permitted no forgetful high spirits. It was not the face of a god reclaiming his suspended immortality, but the face of a man who had, until a moment ago, had been thoroughly and horribly dead, and still had the death, the smell of death in his clothes, and the terror of death in his mind. The two women's reactions in Stegner's novel are starkly different. The one didn't like the painting at all. The narrator describes this woman as still developing her sundial theory of art, which would count no hours but the sunny ones. But the other woman who had come to terms with the reality of suffering and evil in her life pondered the painting for a while longer, we're told. And the narrator provides a powerful description of the importance of Good Friday for our vision and our vocabulary in our lives. And this is how the second woman was described. She studied it soberly with something like recognition or acknowledgement in her eyes as if those who have been dead understand things that will never be understood by those 
who have only lived. That those who have been dead only understand things that are not understood by those who have only lived. Jesus was crucified. He died and he was buried. And he descended to the dead for us and for our salvation. In order to overcome the terror and the demonic and the sick and ultimately to overcome death by capturing death. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please join me as we pray. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were acquainted and familiar with grief. Remind us again that you were acquainted and familiar with death in its deepest and darkest places. That through your cross and your death, you overcame the darkest, the most demonic, the most powerful presence and results of evil known to human life. And we pray that as your disciples, that you would continue to call us to go to those dark and difficult places so that we might not only be bringers of life into those places, but that we also might continue to grow in the life that you offer us through the cross. Thank you for the good news of you becoming a human being, taking on the form and the strategy of a servant, crucified, died, buried, descending into the pit. We don't understand the strategies of God but we proclaim their effectiveness for ourselves, for one another, for this city, and for the world. We thank you for the cross. Amen.